Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. How many of you remember that kid from elementary school? It could have been a boy or a girl, but everyone was afraid of them. They were the school bully. They were the neighborhood bully. They terrorized people. Do you remember that, that bully growing up? I, I've got a confession to make. No, no, I wasn't the bully. I, I was bullied growing up. And the thing that is embarrassing is that it was a girl. You heard it. Being honest, it was a girl. And the bad thing is, this girl went to my school. She went to my church. She lived on the street behind me. But she was one mean girl. And I did everything I could to avoid her. Because I knew that if I didn't avoid her, and I got on her bad side, and every side was her bad side, she might just beat me up. Now, before you start calling me names, you need to understand she was bad. She was mean. She was meaner than bad, bad Leroy Brown. She was meaner than a junkyard dog. She was that kind of person. Well, this morning, we're, we're concluding our series on those people. Say it with me. Those people. Now, those people are those people that irritate us, that frustrate us, that aggravate us, that, that hurt us, that get under our skin. You know, those people. And thus far, we, we've talked about those critical people that always know how to say something negative. We've talked about those chronically needy people, no matter how much we help them, no matter how much we do for them, they, they always find themselves in need again. We, we talked about those fake people, those hypocritical people that, that seem to always wear a mask. They, they say one thing, but they live another way. And then we talked about those manipulative people. But this morning, I want us to hone in on those mean people. Say that with me, those mean people. And every one of us have met a mean person. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I know a mean person. Now say their name. No, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. But, but the truth is, even as we were talking about this, you most likely had someone in mind. You were thinking about someone. It may have been that bully from elementary school. It may have been a husband or a wife, an ex-husband, an ex-wife that, that abused you, that, that did you wrong. It may have been a boss or a, a business associate that took advantage of you. It could be a neighbor that just flat out treated you wrong. The truth is, mean people come in all shapes, they come in all sizes, and, 
And the fact is we find mean people in practically every single age group. And let's be honest, there are some mean people out there. We've not just heard about them in the news. We've not just read about them in history. We've met them. Yesterday in the state paper, there was an article about a student at USC who, is, who has been arrested. She is now on trial because she was caught on camera spitting in and putting household cleaner in the food containers of her roommates. Now, and her lawyer says that, that all of the facts haven't come out yet that she was being bullied. Now, now, I don't know. I don't know the person. I don't know the people involved. All I know is that there are some mean people out there. And until Jesus ushers in the new heaven and, and the new earth, we're going to have to deal with mean people, aren't we? I mean, we can't avoid them, no matter how hard we try. We, we can't ignore them because they're really everywhere. So we've got to learn how to deal with them. Well, as we begin this morning, I want to begin with an example of how to deal with them. And it comes from an Old Testament passage in, in the book of 1 Samuel. And it's the story of, of King Saul and David, who would one day be king. You know the story if you've grown up in church. If you don't, I'll give you the synopsis. The people of Israel wanted a king, though God said that he was going to be their king. But they cried out for a king, and God gave them a king, and it was Saul. And Saul began his, his ministry as king in God's good graces. But Saul sinned against God. And because of that, he entered into a time of depression and despair and fear. And let me just give an aside here. You see, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. Sin is going to always bring despair. Sin is going to always bring hurt and depression and anguish. The only question is when is it going to bring it? So the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God left Saul, and Saul was left depressed and filled with fear. Well, enter David. Some of Saul's servants knew that, that David was an accomplished musician. And so they asked David, would he come and play his soothing music for Saul to, to soothe his troubled soul? And so David did, and it worked. Isn't it amazing what, what music can do? It really can do wonders, can it? And so it, it soothed Saul's soul, and Saul made David his armor bearer. And eventually, it was David who defeated Goliath, that enemy that was absolutely terrorizing the Israelites. Well, as you can imagine, <laughs> when a little teenage boy kills a giant Goliath, his fame begins to spread. And as he begins to fight more and more and his battles become more and more significant, Saul becomes jealous and he becomes fearful of David. And on multiple occasions, Saul tried to kill David. But David never retaliated. Eventually, David ran from Saul and hid. 
And a group of men, literally an army of men, began to gather around David. On one occasion, in 1 Samuel 24, David and some of his men are hiding in a cave. And Saul and his army are chasing after David. And Saul comes into the cave where David and some of his men are hiding. He goes into that cave to, to well, relieve himself. And as he is in there, David sneaks up to him and cuts off a piece of his garment. Saul never knows. David begins to feel guilty that he did that. And so he later confesses it to Saul. He had Saul in his hands and he let him go. A little later in chapter 26, Saul is chasing David again. And at night, David and a few of his men sneak into the camp where Saul is sleeping, surrounded by some of his men, and they take Saul's sword or his spear, and they take his jug of water, but they do not touch Saul. You see, even though Saul was trying to kill David, David treated Saul with honor, with respect, and with dignity. You're probably saying right now, I could never do that. And I agree with you. You can never do that apart from the Holy Spirit working in your life. I mean, that's just not human nature, is it? I mean, it's not human nature to, to let someone go, to treat someone with honor and dignity when they are trying to kill you. But that's what David did. And, and so how do we respond to mean people, to those people that do us wrong? Well, let's begin by looking at Jesus because Jesus not only gives us an example of how to treat those mean people, he gives us some words on how we are to treat mean people. And, and he gives us those words in, in Matthew 5 and in Luke chapter 6. I, I want you to focus on the passage in Luke. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, it says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, But I tell you, hear me. Love your enemies, those mean people. Do good to those who hate you, those mean people. Bless those who curse you, those mean people. Pray for those who mistreat you, those mean people. And so Jesus said that we are to love them, we are to do good to them, we are to bless them, and we are to pray for them. Now let's just break this down as we begin. He says that we are to love them. But understand, in Greek, there are four words for love, and, and this is a word that is typically used for divine love. It's used for God's love, Particularly the Christian God's love for mankind. It is an unconditional love. It is a love that shows itself in action. It's not just a love that, that speaks of love. It's, it's not just a love that says, I'll love you if you love me. This is unconditional love. I will love you regardless. And therefore Jesus said, love your enemies 
And if you love them, here's what's going to happen. You are going to do good to them. You see, love is an action word. And biblical love, the kind of love that we we have for those mean people in our lives, is a love that requires us to do good to them. What it means, listen, what it means is I don't live with just my best interest at heart. I live my life thinking what is going to be best for this mean person in my life. So love your enemies and do good to them. Next, he says, bless them. Don't curse them. Now, now bless is an overused term today. Would you agree with that? I mean, you know, God bless you. Bless your heart. I mean, we say it all the time, especially those of us who go to church. Well, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And we use it all the time. But biblically, the Greek word for bless comes from the word that we get our word eulogy from. It literally means to speak well of someone. And so when we bless someone, this has to do with how we speak to them and how we speak about them. And Jesus said that when we speak to those who are mean to us, we are to bless them, we are to speak well of them. Now, it may be hard. It may be difficult. You may have to research to find something good about some people. But Jesus said that that we are to bless our enemies. We are to speak well to them, to their face, and even behind their back. So Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them. Bless them. And then he said, pray for them. Now, this is what we do On their behalf to God. We talk to God for them. Now some of you are saying, well this is the easy one. I got this down pat. Man, I pray for those mean people in my life. I pray for God to take them out. I pray for God to get even. God rain down fire on them. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. I mean that's what we want to do, isn't it? I mean, we want to pray, Lord, you see what they're doing to me. Do it back to them tenfold. That's what we want to pray. But that's not what Jesus says. I mean, when Jesus is speaking about praying for them, he means that we are praying for God to work in them. We are praying for God to do something in them so that God can do something for them. And so Jesus said, here's how we're to treat the mean people. You love them and do good. You bless them. You don't curse them. And you pray for them. Now that's the foundation. And Jesus gives us that foundation. But the question is, how do we apply this practically? I mean, because it's one thing to say love and do good, but what does that mean? What does that look like? It's one thing to say bless, but but what do you want me to do? It's one thing to say pray, but, but how do you want me to pray? And that's where I want us to focus on Romans chapter 12. Because Paul was a man who knew what it was to live with mean people in his life. 
I mean, the Jews initially, and then the Romans both were out to get Paul. The Jews beat him on multiple occasions and sought to kill him. The Romans eventually put Paul to death. And so, listen, it seems like that Paul had his arms full of mean people in his life. And so understand, when Paul tells us what to do, he's not some armchair theologian. You know what I'm talking about? Those people that sit in their ivory towers and and nothing ever goes wrong in their life and yet they're telling us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to flesh out the gospel. And and our, our minds say, yeah, you come out here in the real world down from your ivory tower and and then tell me how to treat those mean people in my life. But we can't say that about Paul because Paul knew what it was to have these kinds of people. And so listen to what he said in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't get conceited. And this is spiritually. And then he says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let me start by clarifying some things. First of all, Paul is not teaching passivism. Paul is not teaching that. There's some that use this passage and others to teach that. But when we take this with the whole counsel of Scripture, we understand that this is not what Paul is saying. Nowhere do we find in the Scripture that when we have the means to defend ourselves, we shouldn't defend ourselves. So this isn't speaking about passivism. Next, it's not saying that we need to stay in a physically abusive relationship if we can get out. If we are being physically abused and misused and we have the opportunity to get out, Paul isn't saying stay in the relationship and take it like a man or stay in the relationship and take it like a woman. The Word of God is crystal clear on some of those things. And so what is Paul saying? Well, as we look at these verses, beginning in verse 14, we discover some truths. First of all, he says, when I deal with the mean people in my life, I need to identify with them. That's what Paul was saying in in verses 14 through 16. When it comes to, to those mean people in our life, we need to try to understand them. Why are they acting the way they're acting? Have they experienced some pain, some hurt? Is there something in their life that's happened to them that is causing them to act the way 
they are acting. A long time ago, I heard a saying, and it was so true that, that I've never forgotten it. And it was simply this, hurt people hurt people. Did you get that? Hurt people hurt people. Typically, the people who are mean, the people that are hurting us have been hurt in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean that they've been hurt by us. They may have been, but it just means that most often, when we look at those mean people in our lives and we begin to understand them, we discover they've got a lot of pain, they've got a lot of hurt in their life. Let's look at Saul for just a moment. I mean, Saul was a mean guy to David. Well, first of all, Saul wasn't right with the Lord. And may I say to you that when your heart's not right with God, it's going to always be difficult for your heart to be right with other people. Would you agree with that? I mean, anybody can love those who love them. But it's difficult for us to love people who don't love us. And it's next to impossible for us to love people who hate us, who despise us, who use us, who persecute us. And so understand David, or Saul, was a man who was far from God, and and that brought that pain, that depression in his life. Next, he was fearful. He was jealous of David. He knew that the power of God had departed from him. He knew that his time as king was limited. And here was this young man who obviously had the power of God on his life. And he became very jealous And he became very fearful of David. Now, did David do anything wrong? Absolutely not. But you see, when we understand why Saul was acting the way he is, it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't make it right. But it helps us to better understand that person. And it will help us to better love that person in a way That is redemptive. So we always try to understand why that person is acting the way they're acting. We identify with them. Next, we resist our desire to retaliate. Now let's be honest. There's nothing that feels more natural than the desire to retaliate. To hurt someone that hurts us. Deep down inside us, when we're hurt... We naturally think, I'm going to get even one way or another. Bible teacher Ray Steadman tells a story, apparently a true story, about an incident that happened in World War II. He tells it as it is true. But, but many of the, the officers that were stationed in China would bring in houseboys. Chinese teenagers that would do work for them. And these officers who lived in this house there in China had this this Chinese teenager who was their house boy. They couldn't pronounce his name, so they called him Charlie. And they began to pick on Charlie. They did cruel things to Charlie. They would nail his shoes to the floor so when he got up in the morning and he would put his shoes on, he couldn't move. They would put a bucket of water Above the door so that when he opened the door, the bucket and the water would fall on him. They would short sheet his bed. They just did all of these things to him. And Charlie would just smile 
and laugh and seem to take it in. Eventually, these, these American officers, officers began to feel guilty about what they were doing to Charlie and how Charlie was responding. So one day, they went to Charlie and said, Charlie, we are so sorry for the way we've been t- treating you. It's wrong. We shouldn't have treated you this way. And they said, we're not going to do it anymore. And so Charlie said, you mean no more nail shoes to the floor? They said, no more nail shoes to the floor. You mean no more bucket above the door? They said, no more bucket above the door. You mean no more short sheeting me? They said, no more short sheeting you. Then Charlie grinned and said, then I will quit spitting in the soup. We all, don't we, have a desire to retaliate, to get even. That's how we are. If someone swings at us, we swing at them. If someone punches us, we punch them. An eye for an eye, a a tooth for a tooth. But understand, look at me, that principle will never be able to sustain itself. Because eventually, we'll all be toothless and blind, won't we? Because we'll always be getting even. So refuse to retaliate. We don't do that. Now, the next thing. We focus on our responsibility. That's what what Paul said when he said, As much as depends on you, live at peace. Now, you see, it's important for us to notice that Paul puts limits on our responsibility. He said, as much as depends on you, as, as, as much as you can, you live at peace with other people. You see what Paul is saying, and I want you to look at me. Paul is saying there are times that it is impossible to live in peace. Look at me. Paul is saying that there are times that it is impossible To live in peace. Now here's what you need to understand. As Christ followers, we can always forgive. Because forgiveness is one way. I choose to forgive you for the offense against me. Forgiveness is one way. But reconciliation is two ways. For a relationship to be reconciled, for people to live in peace, then two groups, two people have to determine to live in peace. And so Paul says, as much as it depends on you, you live in peace with all people. Now here's what I know. Most of us don't take it as far as we can. Would you agree? You see, instead of the golden rule, doing to others as you would have them doing to you, most of us have, have what I would call the gray rule. Doing to others as they do unto you. And some of us, we would have a green rule. We're preemptive. We do unto others as we think they're going to do unto us. Would you agree with that? I mean, most of us, we, we're going to either get even or we're going to get ahead. And we don't go the extra mile. We don't go as far as we can. But, but Paul says, 
as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. So you go as far as you can. You take as much as you can. Here's the fourth thing. We trust God to avenge us. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. You see, retaliation is immediately. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. But revenge is long term. It festers inside of us. You know the old saying, revenge is best served what? Cold, right? And that's what we do. We let revenge fester. There's a children's book. It's entitled, I'll Fix Anthony. Have any of you ever read that book, read it to your kids, grandkids? I want to read to you some of this book, I'll Fix Anthony. This is what it says. My brother Anthony can read books now, but he won't read any books to me. He plays checkers with Bruce from his school, but when I want to play, he says, go away or I'll clobber you. I let him wear my Snoopy sweatshirt, but he never lets me borrow his sword. Mother says, deep down in his heart, Anthony loves me. Anthony says, deep down in his heart, I stink. Mother says, deep, deep down in his heart, where he doesn't even know it, Anthony loves me. Anthony says, deep, deep down in his heart, he still thinks I stink. But when I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. When I'm six, a dog will follow me home and she'll beg for me and roll over for me and lick my face. If Anthony tries to pet her, she'll give him a bite. When I'm six, we'll have a skipping contest and I'll skip faster. Then we'll have a jumping contest and I'll jump higher. Then we'll do any, many, mighty mo, and Anthony will be O-U-T. And he will be very M-A-D. When I'm six, I'll float, but Anthony will sink to the bottom. I'll dive off the board, but Anthony will, he'll change his mind. When I'm six, I'll be tall and Anthony will be short because I'll eat things like carrots and potatoes and he'll eat things like jelly beans and root beer. I'll put his red sneakers on the top shelf and if he stands on a chair, he won't be able to reach them. He'll tell me, get down my sneakers and I'll tell him to say please. And if he doesn't say please, he can't have his sneakers for a hundred years. When I'm six, Anthony will still be falling off his bike. I'll ride with no hands. Still falling off that bike? I'll ask Anthony. When I'm six, my teeth will fall out and I'll put them under the bed and the tooth fairy will take them away and leave dimes. Anthony's teeth won't fall out. He'll wiggle and wiggle them and they won't fall out. I might sell him one of my teeth, but I might not. Anthony is chasing me out of his playroom. He says, I stink. He says he's going to clobber me. I have to run now, but I won't have to run when I'm six. When I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. That's revenge. Getting even. And that's what many of us try to do. There was even a show on ABC called Revenge. It was on for four seasons. It was about this woman whose whose father was wrong. And so she developed this elaborate plan to get even with all the people who wronged her father. That's revenge. But God's word says, do not take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. What does that mean? Trust God to settle the score. We trust God to settle the score. 
You see, retaliation is a human emotion. There, there's a government entity, it's, it's called the law, that can, that can take up for us, that should take up for us. We don't retaliate. We don't seek revenge. Because God says, leave that to me. I will avenge you. But understand, you need to understand that God's primary desire is not to retaliate for you. God's primary desire is not to get revenge for you. God's primary desire is to redeem. And so as God is working in people's lives, his desire first and foremost isn't to judge them and and send them into hell. His primary desire is to redeem them and set them free. Fifth, we go the extra mile. Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because when you do, you'll be heaping burning coals on his head. Now, now this is where it really gets crazy. We aren't to do unto others what they do to us. We're to do to others what we would like for them to do to us. Whenever our enemy, that mean person, has a need, We don't wait for them to apologize. We don't wait for them to repent. We don't wait for them to treat us right. No, when our enemy, that mean person, has a need in their life, what do we do? We race to the forefront to meet that need. And then Paul says something that that at times have been misunderstood. He says, when we do this, we will heap burning coals on their head. Now, what does that mean? Some people say, well, that's God's judgment. But they're misunderstanding this whole picture here. The burning coals are the burning coals of God's conviction. You see, our ultimate aim isn't for God to burn them. Our ultimate aim is for God to redeem them And bless them. And and that's what happens. When those who are mean to us. Are shown kindness or love. Toward us. God uses it to convict them. and, And to maybe even save them. I mean, think about Paul's story for just a moment. His conversion didn't begin in in Acts chapter 9. It began in Acts chapter 7. Paul was there holding the coats of the men as they stoned Stephen to death. And as Stephen was breathing his last breath, he didn't curse them, but he said, Father, forgive them. I don't know, but I'm thinking that those words haunted Paul. He couldn't get them out of his mind. When he was going to bed at night, he would see Stephen's bloody face, his pummeled body, and he would hear those words, Father, forgive them. And eventually God used that to bring him to that place Where he was ready to surrender all to Jesus. You see, when we treat people's 
anger and hatred with kindness, God uses it. Most of you have probably never heard the name of John Perkins. He's um, still alive. He served on the boards of prison fellowship with Chuck Colson. He was on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals. He's been on the board of World Vision. He was a regular speaker at Promise Keepers events. He served on the council of, of biblical inerrancy. I tell you all of that to just share with you some of his credentials. John Perkins was born to a sharecropper. Sharecropper. He grew up in, in Mississippi in abject poverty. At 17, he moved to California at the urging of his family after his brother was killed by a deputy police officer. But when he was in California, at the urging of his son, he visited a church. God miraculously saved him. He began to be discipled by J. Vernon McGee. We've heard of him before if you've ever studied the Bible very much. And Jack MacArthur at Calvary Baptist Church. Eventually, he became a leader in, in the church in Christian circles in California. Life was going good for John Perkins. But in 1960, he felt God was leading him to go back to Mississippi to preach the gospel to the poor blacks that he grew up with. And so he went back to Mississippi. Fast forward 10 years, and, and it's a Saturday night in, in, in 1970. And, and a, a van of young black college students have been arrested. They have just been at, a, at an event protesting for social justice. And they were arrested, and they were thrown into jail. And John Perkins and, and some of his associates, two of his associates, went to the jail to, to bail him out. But when they got there, he wasn't bailed out. He was surrounded by these deputy sheriffs and he was beaten and kicked without mercy for hours. To the point that he eventually lost two-thirds of his stomach because of the beating he took. One of the men took a fork and they said to him, see this fork? And then they rammed it into his nose. And then they took the fork and they rammed it down his throat. He was beating well, beaten well into the night and eventually he was put in the cell with those college students and they thought he was dead. He didn't die. They eventually took him to the hospital and there were two doctors, one black, one white, who began to care for him and, and help restore him physically and, and emotionally. And, and I want to read to you some of his testimony about that event in his biography. It's called With Justice for All. I want you to listen to what John Perkins said. He said, I remember their faces twisted with hate. It was like looking at white-faced demons. For the first time, I saw what hate had done to these people. These policemen were poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. Their racism made them feel like somebody. When I saw that, I just couldn't hate back. I said to God that night, God, if you will get me out of this jail alive, and I really didn't think I would, maybe I was trying to bargain with him, I really want to preach a gospel that will heal these people too. 
Through this terrible experience, John Perkins learned a lesson you and I need to grasp. I want to read this. He learned how to win the war against evil. As he laid in a hospital bed recuperating rather than dwelling on the sinful things that were done to him, John Perkins meditated on the truth of the gospel. And as he considered the injustice of racism, he concluded that the problem wasn't a skin problem. It was a sin problem. He also concluded that if real justice was to ever come about, it would only come about as people's hearts were made right with God and God's love motivated them to be reconciled to each other. Now, the fact of the matter is most of us will never, ever go through anything that is remotely akin to what John Perkins went through on that wintry night in 1970. But the truth of the matter is, most of us here in this room at one time or another have experienced mean people or we will experience mean people. And and when we experience it, the fact is, it's evil incarnate. And the question we've got to answer as we are in that situation is this. Am I going to let evil win out by responding with evil? Or am I going to let the gospel prevail by responding with good? I want you to listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's not there on your notes. But in verses 21 through 24, Peter writes this. He said, for God calls you to do good. Even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we have been healed. I want you to listen to a couple of things there. Jesus died to save us from our sins. But Jesus not only died to save us from our sins, he died so that we could have the power to do what is right. By his stripes, by his pain, by his death on the cross, we can be healed. And this isn't talking about some physical healing that, that some of your, your, your radical Christians want to say. That this means that, that because Jesus died on the cross, we can be healed of every physical ailment. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that because Jesus died on the cross, we can be healed. We can set, be set free from the hatred. We can be set free from the racism. We can be set free from the desire to get even and retaliate and desire revenge. We can be set free. We don't have to live our lives allowing that mean person to guide us and direct us. Causing us to to retaliate and get even. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us through the death of Jesus Christ. We can say no to hatred. 
no to retaliation, no to revenge. We can say, I'm going to respond to evil by doing good. I'm going to respond to hatred with love. I'm going to respond to this person who is mean to me by being kind to them. It's a choice. And it's a choice that is only possible because Christ died, set us an example. But in his death, he has healed us. He has set us free. And he gives us the power to live in a way that's pleasing to him. And so as we wrap up this series, what are we going to do? I mean, because every one of us have mean people. We have enemies. We have those who are against us, who don't like us. And the question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to respond like the world? Or are we going to respond like Jesus commanded? Paul taught. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do. I want you to bow your head. And close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, there are two things I want us to focus on this morning as we wrap up this series. First of all, if you're here and you're a child of God, you've been born again. God's Spirit is living in you, testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God. Then I want you to understand this morning that you're commanded in the Word of God to respond to hate with love, kindness, compassion, We're to love and do good and bless and pray for those who don't want anything but evil for us. And God's Spirit will help you. Some of you are probably in a situation right now where you're being wronged. And you know what to do and you're saying, how can I do it? Through surrendering and allowing Jesus to live through you. So in just a moment, we're going to pray for you. But then there's another group of us in here. And that's that group of us who, right now you're saying, well, I could never love some of those people. And I want you to hear my heart. I say this with the love of Jesus. If there's anyone that you can say that about, I just can't love them. Chances are you've never been saved. I don't care how long you've gone to church. How many times you've been dunked in a baptismal pool. How many years you've gone without missing Bible study. I don't care. If God's spirit hasn't changed your spirit to the point that you love people. And you want what is best for them. Even when it's difficult. Something's wrong. And you need Jesus to come into you and save you and change you and give you a new start and a new beginning. So first of all this morning, I want us to pray. If you're here and you say, I've got people I don't love and I know it's because God's Spirit's not living in me. I hate people. And you're tired of that. 
Then I want you to pray this prayer to God with me right now. Dear God, forgive me. I am controlled by my flesh. I am filled with hatred that comes from sin. I don't want to be anymore. I want to be set free. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to set me free. To not just give me a home in heaven. You died to set me free from the sinful attitudes, the sinful actions that have dominated my life. Change me. Make me brand new, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm trusting you now to do that. Amen. And with your head still bowed. If you're here and you're a believer and you're in that situation and you need that power, then let's pray right now. Lord God, we come to you asking you to live through us. Father, we know that one of the greatest things that we can do as a witness for you is to show love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness to those who are hateful and bitter and and mean-spirited toward us. We can't do it on our own, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the courage to say no to retaliation and revenge and to say yes to unconditional love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.